0: From the Mercy One studio.
1: Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients.
0: Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith.
2: Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano, is in session.
1: And good Thursday morning from the Mercy One Studios in West Des Moines. I'm Deacon Mike Mano, along with Gina Noll, sitting here in the studio with me. And this is Thursday of the week of our Carathon.
3: It is. Our spring carathon. And what a difference a week makes, because it's definitely spring outside. That's
1: right. It certainly is. So I want to remind everybody, uh, if you want to call in and make a pledge, it's 223-1150. The area code is 515. It's 223-1150. Or you can go to iowacatholicradio.com and hit the Donate button. Click on the Donate button there and securely make a pledge.
3: I know we have quite a few listeners from outside of the state of That's Iowa, right. and I'd like to encourage them to also consider a contribution to the station, uh, 515-223-1150, or the donate button at Yeah, Right, and it um,
1: <clears throat> looks like we're doing fairly well, but <clears throat> we have a big um, goal uh, this week, and uh, we're going to... Try our darndest to make it. I them.
3: was listening, er, all week I've been listening, and I know that they are dedicating some funds to fixing up um, a facility that's by one of our towers that the uh, FCC requires them to do, and it was a little costly. So we're hoping that we can reach our goal and and, and not irritate the FCC.
1: R- yeah, running a radio station can be a costly thing. It is. And, uh, and it requires everybody to... Uh, pitch in to help us out, so that we can keep this radio station on the air. And as I've mentioned before, if St. Paul were alive today, he'd be on the radio. This is a perfect medium to uh, uh, to get out the message of the church, and to evangelize, and to talk about things like we talk about uh, that are um, hurting we, people of of faith. Yeah,
3: right. It's an important um, it's an important show in that it helps our listeners understand how what they hear in the Secular media affects their lives as Christians and Catholics.
1: That's right. And it feels sometimes like the walls are closing in on us a little yeah, bit. But well, we're fighting back. We add a little hope to those stories, don't we? That and some an <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're uh Knowledge we're hoping is finally, power is. That's right. You have to know vocal. what's going on before you can react properly to it. So that's, that's what we right. try and do. All right, we're gonna have a good program today. We're gonna talk about um um sexual exploitation of children.
3: And trafficking. And trafficking of mm-hmm. children.
1: And uh, that'll be our first segment that we're going to talk about. Then we're going to talk about the Equity Act again, or Equality the Act. Act. The equality Act, Equality Act again. Like, well, equity is what <laughs> they're aiming at. It's right. not it's so much equality. But anyway, uh, and uh, of course, the National Catholic Conference of Bishops has come down strongly opposed to that, as well as a large number of other Catholic civil rights. Uh, or uh, religious liberty groups, not, not only Catholic, but Protestant and other oh, groups. Yeah. Uh, right. Everybody seems to be up in arms about it. So um, we will see. We'll talk a little bit more about it with Greg Baylor from the Alliance Defending Freedom when we get to it.
3: I, they and It's the um, use of vocabulary. Words Words don't mean what they're supposed to mean anymore. And it's important that we reveal this because it's not being... Covered very much in the national news.
1: Not only is it not being covered, it's being covered up in many respects. Right. It'll be
3: interesting to have uh, Greg Baylor from the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom explain all of that to us and what we can do as Christians and Catholics. Right. And we've talked
1: about this before, but we can't talk about it enough at this point. Oh yeah, Uh,
3: because it's it's up for a vote in the U.S. House. Yes, that's uh, right. Those who support it, I think, are in the majority.
1: That's right. And then, of course, uh, our first segment here on child exploitation and trafficking. And there's a lawsuit against Twitter uh, about that. And uh, the attorneys, two attorneys that are dealing with that lawsuit, are going to be joining us here in a few minutes.
3: Well, um, the the first story is really good because I, I saw who we were having and what we were discussing. And I can say that I have personal experience of looking something up on Twitter And coming across the most explicit um, um, pornographic material that uh, I have uh, ever seen in my life. And then I thought, what in the heck did I search for? So I tried searching for it again, and it came up again. And I thought, don't they do anything to get these? My kids use Twitter. How is this possible for this material to be uh, revealed to us?
1: Yeah, I've had some of the same experiences. You you link on something wrong, and you end up in some... Mishmash of pornography, and you wonder how in the world do I get it? There was there was a time when if you wanted to contact the White House, you went to uh, www.whitehouse.gov it's gov right is where you go to, but people were going to dot com, and <laughs> that dot com was. More than politics, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's it's out there; it's persuasive or per, uh, pervasive uh, in our culture, and uh, and it really hurts children. Well, so. I
3: think it'll be really interesting to listen to the story about the lawsuit to prevent this sort of uh, event from happening. That's
1: right. All right, Do you have a prayer to open us up with?
3: I do. I have a prayer for peace um, from Pope Benedict. Uh, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. God of peace. Bring your peace to our violent world, peace in the hearts of all men and women, and peace among the nations of this earth. Turn to your way of love, those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. Strengthen us in hope and give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world where true peace and love reign among the nations and in the hearts of all. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Gina. And uh, we're going to be uh, taking a short break now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that very topic.
3: And during the break, why don't you give us a call During at the break, give us a call. 223 1150 or hit the button, the donate button at iowacatholicradio.com.
1: And you're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. We will be back in just a few
4: minutes. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning is provided by Blessman International. Blessman International partners with volunteers and donors to provide sustainable programs for children in South Africa by leading 12-day all-inclusive experiences sharing the heart of Christ with vulnerable children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at blessmaninternational.org. Thank you to Blessman International for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio.
1: Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. And you're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And we are back from our break. This is Deacon Mike with Gina Knoll here. Uh, we have joining us right now Lisa Habba, who is an attorney uh, in uh, Florida who specializes in uh, protection of uh, uh, minors and people who have been sex trafficked. Lisa, how are you doing today? I'm great, Deacon Mike. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, certainly, certainly. Uh, we're having some uh, a little bit of trouble getting a hold of Peter uh, Gentala, who is with the National Center on Exploitation. And it looks like we we have him, and he's going to be joining us here in a minute. Let's talk while we're waiting for that uh, connection to be made about your uh, lawsuit against Twitter.
7: Sure. So our lawsuit against Twitter has actually, you know, thankfully become somewhat of a focus around the country, and it was sort of amazing because our client is, was a seven, he's now a 17-year-old boy, but he, at the time he was a 13-year-old boy, and he was a victim of sex trafficking. At the time he was sex trafficked, you know, he was online. He had traffickers who were incredibly skilled at manipulation of children target him and uh, ultimately obtain photographs from him under duress um, that were of a pornographic nature. So we had child pornography being disseminated. Our client was able to break free of his traffickers, um, luckily, you know after some time, and then when he was sixteen years old, he found out that they had posted on Twitter a compilation video of his sexual abuse, and that those video, that compilation video kind of went viral around his high school. It went all over Twitter and it was actually posted on Twitter for about nine days. During that time, he and his, his parents worked very hard to try to get asked Twitter to take it down. They tried to get law enforcement involved. They did everything they could to protect their child. And Twitter received the response, asked for proof of age, confirmed the child's age through his Florida driver's license, and their response to him was, we don't see a violation of our policies and we'll not be removing this from the Internet.
1: Wow. It, it's funny. The same group that can um, censor the President of the United States can't uh, censor some child pornography.
7: Absolutely. We we even put some of Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter's quotes, in our complaint. He made a number of statements about how he thought his priorities were public safety, his priorities were keeping the community safe, and we couldn't agree more. We just obviously believe that protecting children and minors should be a top priority for any business and any person in our society.
1: I think we've got Peter with us now. Peter uh, Gentella, who is uh, from the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Did we connect with you finally?
2: Yes, good morning. Uh,
1: Good, good. We're happy to have you with us. We had a little glitch here um, making that connection. Uh, Tell me, you are uh, also co-counsel on this lawsuit. I've read uh, the lawsuit. I've skimmed over it anyway. Um, So I know that you are involved in this suit, too. How much of what you see in this particular Twitter suit do you see in other areas? In other words, is this something that's common or not common?
2: It's, it's got some really tragic commonalities with um, situations that we hear about at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation all the time. The two major ones are children being lured and groomed through online applications or mobile device applications, and then the prominence of child sex abuse material and other forms of sexual exploitation on large media platforms like Twitter. So let me a word about each of those things. Yes. Um, at the beginning of this case, what, what happened to John Doe is, is sadly not unusual. He was groomed on an app called Snapchat, and um, that is an app that really focuses on having private conversations. And sexual predators, sex traffickers, know this. Um, they want to have private conversations with children. They want to use uh, that opportunity for... Zero accountability for their own designs, and um, John Doe, in this case, at the age of thirteen, believed he was having a private, kind of one-on-one conversation with um, a young lady, maybe his age, and um, she, um, the person that he he thought was someone his age or around his age, was asking to share uh, nude photos of herself or, and the end of him. And that's how he was pulled into this in the first place. And that, that fact pattern, it's frequently referred to as a, a sexploitation. The idea is that blackmail, essentially. That happens a lot to young teens and on Snapchat and other devices like that. And then the other thing about this case that is really tragic and, and John Doe and his family would really like to see change is the way large communication platforms like Twitter are not doing enough to keep um, really harmful material off their platforms. They have unprecedented reach. Twitter alone has over 330 million users. And the way Twitter is designed is messages don't just go out there and stay. They circulate and they recirculate. And an original post, a tweet, may start off just being seen by a few people, but then through the process of being reposted, retweeted, it ends up being seen by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. It's a, it's a very strong platform for reverberating communication. Well, when the communication that's being sent out is harmful and illegal in this case, um, it can be very destructive. So um, this case is about getting Twitter to clean up its act and to do something about child sex abuse material Obviously, they had everything that they needed to know in this case to know that um, the videos that depicted John Doe were um, sexual in nature, and they constituted child pornography under federal law, and um, And he proved his age to them. So there was no reason not to take that down immediately. They left it up, and as a result, it was viewed uh, hundreds of
1: thousands of times. Uh, Lisa, what is the status of that lawsuit right now? I think it was filed in California, was it not?
7: It was. We filed it in the Northern District of California, so that would be the San Francisco area. Okay. Um, that is actually where Twitter is housed, so we filed it in their jurisdiction.
1: Venue of the defendant. Um, we right. have, sorry, go ahead. The, the, where the defendant resides.
7: Correct. The yeah, uh, being just Twitter, the, the venue rules, yeah. Yes, no, absolutely. And so um, we filed it there. It has currently been served on Twitter, and we are currently awaiting their response.
1: All right. What is it that you're asking in this lawsuit?
7: Well, we, at the very end of the lawsuit, we, of course, included our, we call it relief requested, but essentially what are we looking for? And it's going to be a couple things. Um, first and foremost, we want Twitter to change their policies. We want them to do what they should have done in the first place protect children on their platform. They should never be openly allowing things like, you know, child exploitation to be rampantly disseminated, searched, distributed, you know, contacted, etc. on their platform. They should be using their platform, you know, for the very purpose that was intended for a communication, you know, component that does not include illegal activity. The other thing that we have asked them for is, ultimately i'm you know we'll be asking for a monetary compensation for our client he has suffered as a young boy he was traumatized very early on he was re-traumatized when twitter refused to act and let hundreds of thousands if not more people see this video of his abuse the harm that it caused him in his in his personal life I and mean, he at one point became suicidal because as you can imagine a 16 year old boy who's being viciously bullied because of their victimization would be harmed and we just want to make sure that twitter Makes our client whole, but also makes sure that no other child has to suffer through this.
1: Now, this uh, form of child pornography is illegal. So, is there any uh, legal, other legal aspect, criminal prosecutions or criminal investigations against Twitter over this?
7: If there is, I'm not privy to that. I, I, I wouldn't know the answer. Obviously, you know, for many reasons, the federal government, whenever they conduct an investigation, does that you know, Quietly. covertly. So there there may or may not be. I just don't know.
1: Okay. Do so, you do you expect one to come from it? I don't know that we can
7: predict that at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, obviously, I know what we have here. Um, criminal lawsuit, criminals, criminal cases are different than civil. Civil can go after a business. A criminal mm-hmm. case cannot. It has to go after an individual. So if there's a human being at Twitter or, you know, the leadership at Twitter was actively... Participating in criminal activity, then they could be gone after criminally. And I think that's what would have to be shown for that
1: to be possible.
3: Okay, Gina, I think you had a question. I, I do have a question. Now, I'm the non lawyer of this conversation, so pardon me if I don't have the right vocabulary. I find this uh, suit fascinating because so much of uh, what's on Twitter, I mean, I've come across pornography and I find it appalling that I'm simply using a platform for information. Um, but this summer, and this fall we heard quite a bit about section 230 um of the uh Communications of, Act. of the Federal Code, right? The Communications Act that protects these uh social media organizations and companies from prosecution. Um so I guess I have two questions. Does uh section 230 come into play with your lawsuit and secondly, how are they allowed to violate uh federal law pornography laws? Peter, do you want to start Gina. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but- they Thanks, Gina, for that. Um, we expect that Section 230 will be part of the legal conversation with the federal court. In uh, almost every lawsuit that's been filed in the last uh, 10 to 15 years, uh, Section, if it deals with the Internet, usually there's some aspect of the discussion of Section 230. So we know that that'll be part of, of what we need to work through um, with the federal judge in this case and um the the concern that that we have about section 230 is that there is an interpretation out there that is so broad that it seems to actually um turn the actual purpose that congress had in creating section 230 on its head section 230 is part of a larger piece of legislation that is called the federal communications decency act and the focus of it 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 it, goes all the way back to the early days of the Internet, and the focus of it was basically to keep children and families safe from harmful material, indecent material, online. And it had a provision in there, which is now known as Section 230, which was a safe harbor for good Samaritan actions. And the idea is that if a, um, an online company finds information that they think is harmful is obscene or is child pornography they can just take that down on their own and they don't need to worry about a lawsuit for taking that action so it was protection for removing harmful content from the internet hmm. now the interpretation that's being uh, embraced by the large technology companies is they wanted to immunize all their decisions so if their decision is the one that Twitter is apparently made in this case, which is to leave everything up, then um, they want to be completely protected from that. And that's just the exact opposite of what Congress intended. So we're going to show that to the court, but that's also something that uh, Congress has been looking at for a long time.
1: Well, I have a, a legal question, and this has bothered me about uh, Section 230. Um, Section 230 was meant to protect these uh, platforms that are not editors, Right. They're just platforms. They're just carrying information back and forth. But once they start to act as an editor, either in taking stuff down or in putting stuff up, or in your case, as refusing to take something down, don't they change their role from just a platform to a publisher? And shouldn't they have to prove that they're still just a platform in order to get uh, protection under 230? Well, it's an interesting question
7: because there has been extensive litigation already about the definition of what qualifies as a platform or an information service provider and and what have you. Um, Big tech as a whole has many different varieties of companies, but of course, looking at the individual models of social media companies, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you name it, they are traditionally held to be to fall under this category of they are a platform, but not necessarily a content editor. They're more of a, a platform to host material. What, but what this really, what our case falls under, is there's an exception to CDA 230 called FOSTA-SESTA, and it was it was intended by Congress about two years ago in response to the horrible website Backpage.com, which was basically. A website to traffic people. I mean, they, it was probably the main website used in America up until it was taken down by the FBI and uh, many, a couple years ago that allowed people to buy and sell human beings online for sex. It was absolutely horrendous. And when that website came down, those, the people involved in that, it came out were much more complicit than just a hosting provider. They were actually editing content, suggesting content, participating in what was being posted directly profiting from the exploitation of people and so what ultimately resulted in that was legislation 2018 called FOSS sesta which in short said that big tech doesn't get to hide behind 230 to hide from sex trafficking. If sex trafficking is happening on your platform you are not only responsible for it but you have an obligation and a duty to try to make sure that it's not happening on your platform which is a big departure from what CDA 230 has always said in the past. Sure. So our case certainly falls within that false assessment exception, as our client was a human trafficking victim, and the victims of his exploitation were on Twitter's platform.
3: Interesting. I I, I like where this is headed. I'm worried about it being in the courts in San Francisco or Northern California, (laughs) but I, I do like the way this case is laying out.
1: We have Brad Dacus next week. You can ask him about the courts out there from Pacific Justice. All right, Peter, let me ask you a question. You talked about how uh, John Doe here was hooked. Uh, What should parents be looking for, and how do we prevent this in our homes?
2: Well, that's another great question, Mike. Um, Well, accountability is is the lacking equation across the board here. Um, Obviously, this case is about accountability for Twitter, but... um, the scenario that set up the tragic facts of this case, the sad facts of this case, are, are things that parents um, have some ability to, to reach into. And so um, having clear boundaries and standards for kids when it comes to their use of electronic devices is really essential. And you know, keep in mind, John Doe's age, when the facts of this case began, he's just 13 years old. so. Learning a 13-year-old may not have an appreciation for who he's communicating with, who she is communicating with. Um, it's so important to help everyone understand that when they're communicating with strangers, it is it is really, really harmful. And the, the, the way these apps bring in and connect people, um, it gives you a feeling of comfort, of security, of commonality with the people that you're talking to. But at the same time, it obscures their real identities. So that's, that's a really concerning feature. Um, as a parent, uh, Snapchat is not even a permitted app in, in our household for our teenagers' phones because the, the risks uh, outweigh the benefits with something like that because it's, it's designed to have private one-on-one communication. There's just not a good reason to uh, allow that. But that's just the decision that my household is making about about that particular app. But that's the, the, the thing to really focus on is, does the electronic device or does the application on the electronic device allow for accountability-free use and accountability-free communication? And if it does, um, that's, that's the, those are the places to step in and get clear boundaries.
1: And if you find uh, that you have a child or a uh one of your children's friends are, have access to uh, the Snapchat or whatever it is and, uh, and are engaging in this type of activity or being suckered into it, I guess. If you're 13 years old, it's kind of hard to engage in it. You just kind of get sucked into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the next step? Is, is it to call in the authorities? Is there a special place to go? Um, how do we combat it that way?
2: Well, there's, it, it, there's reporting. Um, that can be made to law enforcement if there's, if there's actual, um, uh, if say uh, compromising images like what happened in this case are being put out on the internet. Um, that's, that's important to report that to law enforcement and there's also steps that can be taken to have it be pulled down, um, at the national center on sexual exploitation. I know, um, Lisa's firm, the Haba law firm also does the same thing. One of the, one of the main services that we offer is to communicate with online providers when there are sexually explicit uh, pictures that are posted on their platforms, and we send them legal letters that demand that the material be removed and taken down. So um, they can get in touch with either of our firms, and we can, we can help with that process. Why
1: don't you give us your um, uh, web addresses so that people can check in and follow what's going
2: on? Sure. So um, at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation... Our website is endsexualexploitation.org. And then there, we have a special webpage just for this um, lawsuit, which will get you in touch with both uh, Lisa's firm and our legal team. And so it's, it's forward slash Twitter lawsuit. Endsexualexploitation.org slash Twitter lawsuit.
1: Very good. Well, un- <clears throat> unfortunately, uh, we're out of time here as um, the, the clock always keeps running on these things and we have no <laughs> control over that. Uh, but we certainly appreciate both of you being with us today. We hope uh, our listeners have learned something here. And uh, if they do nothing more than keep uh, you in uh, all of our prayers, that uh, your work is successful and that you drive these people uh, off Twitter and um, uh, and, and these other uh, platforms that are uh, exploiting children. Uh, and probably the worst thing in the world that a person can do is to exploit children this way. And we, uh, uh, we wish you all the success in the world in this lawsuit against Twitter. Uh, we'll have to uh, keep in touch with you, see how that goes, and uh, perhaps have you back at a later time to give us uh, uh, an update on those. Uh, Lisa and Peter, thank you so much for being with us. God bless you both. Thank you so much. God bless you. Certainly. Thanks, thanks, Gina. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. We're going to take a break right now, but remember this is our Carathon, 515-223-1150 if you want to make a donation, uh, or you can go to iowacatholicradio.com and hit our secure donate button and donate that way. Uh, Lisa... Gina and I, (laughs) I almost called (laughs) you Lisa, Gina and I will be back right after these messages.
0: Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the morning is provided by Five Sons Naturescapes. Five Sons Naturescapes is a Catholic veteran-owned family company providing premium outdoor landscaping, clean up and restore outdoor living space with retaining walls, privacy fencing, pergolas, paver sidewalks, and patios. Issues with soil settling and water around the foundation and yard? Five Sons Naturescapes can grade and install drainage tile to help. Five Sons Naturescapes online at fivesonsnaturescapes.com.
2: Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. Things look fair through the afternoon and our temperature will be mild with our high around 40. For tonight, maybe a little bit of fog, otherwise just partly cloudy and are low in the mid-20s. For tomorrow, we may get an afternoon rain shower, our high reaching about 45 and windy. The weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio.
1: And you're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. I'm Deacon Mike Mano, along with Gina Knoll. Uh, and we're joined now by Greg Baylor, who is a senior counsel with the Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, to talk about the Equality Act. Greg, we've talked about this several times in the past, but I don't think it hurts to go over it all again because uh, I know it seems that... Uh, uh, everybody these days is talking about it. So why don't we go back to the very beginning, if we can, and uh, just uh, state briefly what that act is and what it will do.
4: Right. Well, and thank and you by the
1: me. way, welcome to the program.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to express my gratitude for bringing me back. It's good to be with you again. Good, Mike. Uh, you know, the Equality Act is an incredibly sweeping piece of legislation that touches uh, virtually every area of American life. Um, It elevates sexual orientation and gender identity to protected class status, and that will have an impact on lots of different areas. It will have an impact on businesses. It will have an impact on employers, housing, public education, private education, health care, medical and mental health care, creative professionals who are going to be punished under this law, Like I said, it just touches a lot of areas of public life and uh, a lot of problems with it.
1: Let's start talking about its effect on religious liberty.
4: Sure thing. Yeah, let's first talk about religious employers. Uh, The Equality Act imposes new burdens on religious employers. It tells them that if they follow their beliefs in their hiring practices, their beliefs about marriage— about sexual morality, about the distinction between the sexes. They are violating federal law. Now, there is a question out there, an unanswered legal question, which is this. Do the existing religious exemptions in the law, the federal law that outlaws employment discrimination, do they protect religious employers from claims of discrimination under the Equality Act? Alliance Defending Freedom would say no, but the supporters of the Equality Act I'm, I'm sorry, Equality Act, depending would say, yes, those exemptions do protect uh, religious employers, but the supporters of the Equality Act say no. One of the interesting and kind of shocking things that they've done is, unlike most states and localities that adopt this kind of law, they've provided for no religious exemptions whatsoever. And even worse, they take away the existing religious exemptions that... Uh, Americans of all stripes have under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So it has an impact, first of all, on religious organizations as employers, but there are other contexts as well.
1: Let me ask you uh, some specific questions about this religious liberty part of it. If a uh, church uh, will not um, uh, host same-sex weddings, would that violate this law?
4: The answer is it's it's uncertain. I think the answer is probably no. Here's here's the reason for the ambiguity. Uh, federal law right now bans discrimination in, quote, places of public accommodation. And you might ask, well, what's that? Well, I know what it's not. Right now, it's not a church. A church would not be a place of public accommodation with respect to hosting weddings or really anything else. But one of the big problems, kind of the sneaky problems with the Equality Act is that it dramatically expands what counts as a place of public accommodation. Uh, The bill says, hey, if you provide a good, a service or a program, you're a place of public accommodation. Well, that's an incredibly broad category. So it legitimately raises the question whether a church um, in some or all of its capacities could be deemed to be a place of public accommodation. And what if it is? Well, that means all of these obligations could uh, kick in. You do have to provide access uh, to groups, maybe that you know you rent out your facilities. Maybe groups that don't share your beliefs, and you'd like prefer not to let, have them use your space. Um, you know, if you have a spaghetti dinner for the community, you can have a scenario where someone says, "I'm male, but identify as female, therefore I want to use the female restrooms and things like that." So the answer is, uh, it, it depends, really, on how this gets interpreted. I mean, the best thing for us to do is to not pass this law so we don't even have to fight that question.
1: Let me, uh, l- let me refocus on, a- on another area of the law for a minute. Uh, you talked about religious employers. Uh, what happens if uh, you have a church like the Catholic Church that only has male clergy?
4: Yeah, you know, it, theoretically that's a problem right now because, of course, Title VII, which is the federal law that bans discrimination in employment, um, has sex as a protected classification. And, you know, it just has not been a problem historically, and I don't think the Equality Act would change that. The thing about ministers and their relationship, and priests and their relationships with their with their churches and religious houses of worship is that that's pretty clearly constitutionally protected we've had a couple of cases in, in recent years, one last year and one a bit ago, that have recognized that there's something special about that relationship between ministers and their churches, and that the government just shouldn't interfere with that at all, whether it's you know an Equality Act type thing or some other law that purports to regulate that, regulate that relationship. So I don't think the Equality Act will make... The very small problem, the concern about you know lawsuits against uh, uh, churches that uh, that ordain only men. I think that's uh, not not one of the biggest concerns, or really a concern at all. all
1: right, how about then teachers in a parochial school? Um, as somebody comes in, uh, they're um, a trans uh, gendered person, or there's somebody involved in a same sex marriage. Um, they obviously don't uh, live up to the teachings of the religious institution that is sponsoring the school. Uh, can they be denied uh, employment as a teacher, or for that matter, as a teacher's aide?
4: Right. The answer under the Equality Act is we don't know. Um, they definitely change. You know, make the law. Um, more problematic by adding explicitly sexual orientation and gender identity as protected class status. So if you just looked at that, you would say, yeah, it's, it, now this is illegal." A, a, a church or a school that has a practice or a policy of hiring only people who are willing to follow its beliefs on these issues. But like I mentioned a little bit ago, there is a religious exemption, um, mostly what it's been used for in the past is to say, a Catholic church, or, a am sorry, a Catholic school can hire Catholic teachers, or a Jewish school can hire Jewish teachers, and it protects that kind of thing. There's an open question whether you can, you as a religious employer, if the Equality Act passed, could say, well, wait a minute, this, this exemption allows me to hire people who share my beliefs and are committed to them, and that's not just a matter of, you know, checking off boxes on a statement of faith. It matters how they behave as well. So that's what ADF would argue, which is this exemption protects us uh, and our clients from claims of, uh, of, of discrimination. But people on the other side don't want religious schools to have that freedom, so they're going to argue the opposite. Again, the Equality Act creates a potential problem that would be better that we did if we didn't have.
0: But
1: under the Equality Act, uh, anybody who felt aggrieved, my understanding is that they could file suit that right absolutely so so we could have dozens of lawsuits around the country all arriving at different results dealing with this and i don't know how many years it would take to have the supreme court clean that all up uh but we could be sitting with this pandora's box open for quite some time before we we get solid answers and and then the solid answers may not be what we want
4: Indeed, that's, you're exactly right about that. Um, this is a litigation machine, this Equality Act, because of all of the uncertainties. And we're certain about lots of bad things it, were, it will do, but there's also a potential things bad that it might do that are going to have to get litigated over time. So we just would rather not go down that road and just not pass this just pretty atrocious piece of legislation in the first place.
1: Uh, let me turn your attention to uh, women's sports. Uh, girls and women uh, now are fighting uh, against an encroachment by trans, I guess they're trans girls or trans uh, women, uh, who were born uh, biologically male and are now trying to compete in a female sport, like track or basketball or something like that. Uh, This would have an effect on that, would it not?
4: Absolutely. Um, ADF is representing uh, uh, three... Uh, high school female athletes who run track, who because of the participation of males in their sport, males who identify as female in their sport, they've lost. They've lost opportunities to compete to win. They've lost opportunities to appear before scouts who are handing out scholarships. This is deeply unfair, and I think almost every American recognizes this. Now, what does that have to do with the Equality Act? Well, the story in Connecticut with the three high school athletes uh, happened because of a uh, athletic association's policy, so it was limited to that place and that time. The problem with the Equality Act is that it takes that problem and nationalizes it. It's going to replicate it across the entire country. Uh, the way that we and the supporters of the Equality Act read it is that every uh, every institution, every educational institution that gets federal financial assistance, which is every Almost every college and university, some, right? Yeah, it's, it's it's just a very widespread uh, group. So they're going to re- replicate this problem all over the country.
3: So, so where is the Equality Act right now? How is this close to becoming legislation? And it sounds similar to the Obamacare. We'll figure out what's in it after it's passed.
4: Well, uh, uh, thankfully, it's not quite as long, and unfortunately, there is a lot in there that we already know what it's going to be. Yes, there will be some litigation that we'll have to uh, resolve some of the open questions, but here's the status of it. So today, um, at around 2.30 Eastern Time, the House of Representatives is going to vote on the Equality Act. They're bringing it to the floor today. You know what? They skipped all the process. They skipped the committees. They skipped having hearings. They skipped having markup All of these places where there would be an opportunity to identify all the serious problems with the Equality Act. And they're just skipping right over that. So it's going to be voted on in the House today, and there's this very strong expectation that it will pass uh, because there are more Democrats than Republicans. And we don't know if any Republicans are going to vote for it. Last time, eight did. Um, Some of them are no longer in Congress. Others, we've been trying to persuade them not to support it. So, And we know President Biden will sign it if it ever reaches his desk. So the question is what happens in the Senate. And the bill will head to the Senate after the House passes it, and we will work very vigorously to try to prevent its passage.
3: And what can we do as constituents?
4: Yeah, I think if you've got time today to communicate with your uh, uh, your House representative, do so. Because today's the day. Today's the last chance to have influence on the House. And I would contact your representative um, and ask them not to vote for H.R. 5, to vote against H.R. 5, the Equality Act. But we do have a little bit more time, maybe not much, though, to communicate with our senators. So communicate with senators by a phone, by email, call their D.C. office, call their state you know, offices that they have throughout the state, and let them know in, in a respectful and winsome way that you have deep concerns about the Equality Act and that you would ask them to not vote for it.
1: Thank you. Uh, one of the um, things that I see in this is the uh, uh, abrogation of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act as a defense against uh, any lawsuit that's filed in this. Uh, Where did that come from? Uh, And and when did we decide that uh, for some reason that uh, religious employers wouldn't be able to defend themselves with that?
4: Yeah. Well, it's, You know, like like I said uh, earlier, it's really remarkable how things have changed. I mean, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was passed by enormous bipartisan majority. I think there may have only
1: been three people that voted against it, something like that. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. In the Senate, there was a voice vote in the House. I mean, they didn't even count the votes. It was just so overwhelming. And Bill Clinton signed it, and you know, had Democrats and Republicans as co-sponsors. And this was in 1993. And, you know, even then there was an acknowledgement that there could be conflict between the sort of LGBT legal agenda and religious liberty. But, you know, the point was religious liberty is important. It needs to be protected. Well, things started to change pretty quickly, Uh, not to get too technical about it, but you might remember that uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was sort of partly struck down, and there was uh, a um, you know, the court said, you don't have enough authority to apply, apply this law to states and localities. And the group that supported the Religious Freedom Restoration Act said, okay, let's get together, we can fix this. We can pass a law that will satisfy uh, the court's concerns. And the response from people on the left end of the spectrum, the coalition that supported the Religious Freedom Restoration Act is, you know what, we're no longer interested in this because we decided that lgbt rights are more important than religious liberty that's why there was no no sort of restoration of the religious freedom restoration act and of course things have only gotten worse since then i mean it's really become the position of one of the two major parties in our country is that religious uh, liberty is much 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 less important than a ton of other things including you know, the alleged right of biological males to play on women's sports teams and to use women's locker rooms. So that's where we are right now, and that's why they're, they realize that people will use their religious freedom in a way that they don't like. So they're trying to stop, stop us from doing that with this really, really atrocious piece of legislation.
1: And unfortunately, Greg, we're going to have to leave it right there since we're running out of time. Uh, But we do appreciate you joining us today. And uh, if anybody wants more information on this, how can they get it from uh, ADF?
4: Well, if you go to uh, adflegal.org, that's our website, adflegal.org, there will be right on the homepage, there will be a uh, a link that you can click that will give you lots of information about the Equality Act. We encourage you to do that, adflegal.org.
1: Thank you very much, uh, Greg Baylor, uh, Senior Counsel with the Alliance Defending Freedom. We appreciate your time today. And uh, we will keep in touch. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and this is Thursday of our Carathon, our Spring Carathon. If you would like to donate, the number is 515-223-1150, or you can go to our website, com and click on that Donate button. For secure donation. We will be right back after these messages.
0: Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Catholic Women Now, provided in part by Permar Security, providing security solutions for homes and businesses since 1953. Permar Security is a Catholic-owned family business supplying security systems, access control systems, video surveillance, fire alarm systems, and video doorbells. All alarm systems are monitored out of their monitoring center located in the state of Iowa. Permar Security, 515-244-5660, Five one five two four four five six six zero permarsecurity.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the morning is provided by Five Sons Naturescapes. Five Sons Naturescapes is a Catholic veteran-owned family company providing premium outdoor landscaping, clean up and restore outdoor living space with retaining walls, privacy fencing, pergolas, paver sidewalks, and patios. Issues with soil settling and water around the foundation and yard? Five Sons Naturescapes can grade and install drainage tile to help. Five Sons Naturescapes online at fivesonsnaturescapes.com.
2: Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Storm Alert Weather is provided by Divine Treasures. Divine Treasures is a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. Their mission is to help Catholics know, love, and keep their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and His Church. Divine Treasures is where you can find great Catholic books, beautiful Bibles, rosaries, jewelry, statues, and religious gifts for those memorable events in your life. Divine Treasures, 5701 Hickman Road, Des Moines, 515-255-5230. Thank you to Divine Treasures for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio.
0: Thank you, Skeffington's Formal Wear,
4: for sponsoring Dowling Catholic High School football. In business since 1951, Skeffington's Formal Wear offers quality service, style, and selection, providing tuxedos, suits, and casual groom attire for weddings, proms, and any other special occasion. Skeffington's Formal Wear, with convenient locations in Des Moines, West Des Moines, Davenport, Coralville, and Ankeny. All locations are family-owned and operated by members in their respective communities, fitting you for life celebrations, online at skeffingtons.com.
1: And we're back. You're listening to Faith on Trial, Iowa Catholic Radio. I'm Deacon Mike Mantle here with Gina Ngo, and I guess it's day four of our Spring Carathon now.
3: That's right. We're raising funds so that Faith on Trial and the rest of the great programming here at Iowa Catholic Radio can stay on the air, and the towers stand up and and broadcast us um, across the airwaves, or the electricity stays on and the internet sends our uh, shows Across the Internet.
1: Right. And the uh, number to call is 515-223-1150, or you can go to iowacatholicradio.com and hit the uh, uh, Donate button. Click on that Donate button. Well,
3: we do have quite a bit of homework for our listeners. They have a couple of things to yeah, do. Yeah, i got a couple of things First, to- call in and make your pledge right. to the Iowa Catholic Radio at 515-223-1150. Then find your representative, your U.S. House of Representative person who represents you And make a call today before 1 o'clock Iowa time, Mm -hmm. central time, and uh, oppose H.R. 5, the Equality Act. It will really be a detriment to our our parishes, our schools, and all of our Catholic and Christian communities. And we should
1: point out that the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has come out strongly against H.R. 5.
3: That's right. And um, so two things to do today, listeners, and and tell your friends. Make sure they also do the homework that we've uh, outlaid for you today.
1: And if you want to still uh, hear stories like we've done today, and that we do every week, uh, help keep us on the air and keep the radio station going. And that's 515-223-1150 or iowacatholicradio.com. And I think that probably takes us about to the end of our hour. Let's end with our prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou. O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. That's it for today. For Gene and myself, thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Until then, have a blessed and peaceful week.
0: Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial, with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano. Faith on Trial, Thursdays at 10 a.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and the Iowa Catholic Radio app.
1: Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients.